much lower microphone now. <laughs> um, today's Bible reading is from Hebrews. It's on page 1211 of your Bibles. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 25. That's page 1211, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 25. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised his faith. Great to be with you all. And let us consider Christianity is about having a relationship with God. Not giving up me. Christianity is about drawing near to God. It's about being with him, about daily living in the presence of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. That's the Christian promise, expectation and experience. Being with God, living with him. That's what Christianity is all about. A lot of Christians think or make Christianity about something else. Maybe it's about having high moral values. 
Maybe it's about being a part of a community. Maybe it's even simply about just receiving forgiveness. But this passage today tells us Christianity is about intimacy with God, having a relationship with Him. I was at a wedding yesterday, maybe you were there too, just next door, and I had the privilege of presiding over that wedding. And in the preface, in the Anglican preface to that wedding, you know that moment where the minister says, we are gathered here today in the presence of God, yada, yada, yada. In that preface, the minister says, marriage is the symbol of God's unending love for his people. Marriage is the symbol of God's unending love for his people. I want you to imagine for a moment that that bride and groom came to the church that day, got dressed up in their fancy clothes, looking good. Uh, They come to the front, they say their vows, they hold hands, they exchange rings, they're announced husband and wife, and the song starts, they walk down the aisle, everybody's standing and clapping, and then they walk out separate exits and go to separate homes. (laughs) We'd all go, something's a little bit off. Uh, Because that wedding, that moment, those commitments, those promises are all about the marriage. It's not just about that wedding day, is it? It's about going home and living together. In the same way that Anglican preface says, it doesn't say a wedding is the symbol of God's love. It says marriage is a symbol of God's unending love, meaning It's the going home together. It's the outworking of those promises day in and day out that is the symbol of God's love for us. In other words, Christianity is about intimacy with God. Many Christians, I think, have a wedding experience with God. They come to know Him. They make some promises. They say some words. Maybe they come to church. They look the part but they don't experience a marriage with God. They don't experience going home with Him and living with Him daily. We could look at this whole passage today, and we will at one point. We're going to look through it together. Um, But what I really want to do is focus on verse 22, where it's all headed. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Let us. Draw near to God. Drawing near to God, that's what Christianity is all about. And I actually think that's what many of our friends who are not Christians really want in life. And they'll put it in their own words. They might say something like, I want a sense of calm. You know, I want to be at peace with myself and with the world. I want to experience something transcendent in life. I want something bigger than myself to be a part of, to belong to. And what I think that is, is really a search for God, a desire to draw near to Him. Augustine, the great early church father of the 4th century, often regarded as the first Western psychologist, said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. In other words, you're made for a relationship with God. I'm made for a relationship with God. But there is something in the way of that relationship. And your friends might feel it. You might often feel it. And either it's something like, you know what? It's impossible to actually know God. 
How can anyone actually claim to know him and what he's like or who the real God is? It's impossible. Or on the other hand, they might feel a little bit like my friend once did when he said to me, Matt, thanks for your invitation to church, but I think it would be safest for for everyone if I don't come because as I enter through the front door, I'm expecting lightning. Either people think God's unknowable or they feel unworthy to come to God. And this passage deals with this big issue, this big question of drawing near to him. And it frames up that the desire to draw near to God is the goal. That's the goal, drawing near to him. And it also deals with the gap between us and drawing near to him and how it's bridged. But I want you to remember this morning as we look at it, it's also addressing Christians. Because Christians can often forget what their Christianity is for. They can make their Christianity about all other things than what is at the heart of it, which is drawing near to God, intimacy with Him. And they can lose the confidence that their Christianity should give them to draw near to Him. So I want to open up this passage and the relevance of it to us today by doing three things. Firstly, we're going to go big picture and look at God's plan for a relationship. Secondly, we're going to zoom in on the passage and find out what it has to say about the means for that relationship with God. And then finally, we're going to look at some application together. What does it actually look like to draw near to God on a daily basis? I'm excited about that. So relationship means an experience. Relationship. It's always been about relationship with God. It's always been about that. And this is background information that you need to understand this passage. The big idea of the whole Bible is a relationship with Him. You'll remember, that's how it starts. Adam and Eve in a garden. And there's a third party in that garden. It's God. It says God is walking in the cool of the day with them. That's a picture of a home. It's a little undeveloped. It's just a garden. Uh, They've got some work to do. But it's a picture of a home. Humanity together with God. And then right at the end of the Bible, literally on the last few pages... There's various pictures of our future in heaven. And the pictures are a a dinner party, a wedding, a concert, and a city. What do all of those things have in common? It's relationship with one another and with God in the deepest possible way. A dinner party, a wedding. But in between those two moments, in between the blueprint and the finished product. There's a problem. There's a rupture in the relationship. When humanity reject God, they decide to go their own way. And as a result, they're removed from the garden. They're removed from God's presence. But God had a plan which he began unfolding immediately. And you might remember a little bit further forward in your Bible... God takes his people and he rescues them from slavery in Egypt and he brings them out into the desert. And there's this beautiful sentence in Exodus 19.4 that tells them the exact reason he saved them. Exodus 19.4 You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The purpose of their salvation out of Egypt was that they might be close to God. And then God says, here's an idea, let's make a tent. 
and I'll dwell in that tent and then I want you to put all your tents around me. And that tent is the tabernacle or it later becomes the, the temple and God dwells in that tent. And it, right in the center of that tent's a place called the most holy place where God would dwell himself. But there was a problem and the name of that place gives it away. It was most holy, but his people are not most holy. They're most opposite to holy. And so they can't enjoy his presence. They're guilty of not living how God wants people to live in his home. They don't love him as they should, and they don't love others as he wants them to. And so even though God's right there in the middle of them, in their midst, they have no access to him. And so God began to unfold a means for his relationship, a means for them to draw near. And that means, it comes up in our passage today, and we're going to look through the passage together in a moment, but that means, simply put, was a sacrificial system. Priests who would live very distinct and holy lives would make animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. And those sacrifices, the spilling of blood, would symbolize the cleansing of their sin. But it was just that. It was just a symbol. And what we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, is that the old means is not a real means. It could never actually give them the means to draw near. It didn't actually deal with the problem. Hebrews 10, verse 1. Let's look at the passage together. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law is only a shadow. That means was only a shadow. It wasn't the realities. Here's a shadow on the screen. Here's a shadow. There's, there's a shadow. See the shadow? And now here's the reality. How much better is the reality? <laughs> the reality is so much better than the shadow. I'm sure you'll agree. Indulge me. And the thing about a shadow is with a shadow you get the picture, you get the outline, you get the shape of what the real thing is. So it can, it's helpful. And in the same way the law told us a few things about the problem. Verse 2, um, but the thing we're told about the shadow is it couldn't complete the job. It couldn't complete the job. That's what it meant when it said it can never make perfect those who draw near. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the law showed us there was a problem. It showed us there was guilt had the general shape. It showed us that we were guilty before God. It showed us we were sinful. It showed us what needed to happen in order for our sin to be cleansed. But it also it, it just reminded them of the problem. You can imagine each and every day watching those sacrifices being spilled, just this reminder of our problem with God. But as a shadow, it also pointed to the real thing, the real sacrifice. Have a look at verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll in the Old Testament. I have come to do your will, my God. In other words, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were what 
God wanted his people to do so that they'd have a picture of the reality to come. But they were not pleasing to God because they didn't complete the job. They didn't draw us near to God. And so he sent his son. And now listen to the comparison given in verses 11 to 14 between the old means and the real means. 10-11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But listen to verse 12. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. He's standing. He's not standing. He's sitting. Why is he sitting? Because the job's done. He's completed the work. He doesn't need to stand and do it anymore. And verse 14 tells us, For, one, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. His one sacrifice completes the job for us, is the means for our relationship. And then it tells us that this is what the Old Testament was always talking about. God's plan from the beginning. Hebrews 10.15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, quoting Jeremiah, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In other words, if you are looking for an opportunity, for permission, for the ability, for the confidence to draw near to God, there is one true and complete place, and that's in Jesus and his sacrifice for sins. If you're looking to access God, there is one means, and it's Jesus and his sacrifice for sin. And that's why in verse 19 and 20, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, let us draw near to God. So what does that look like? What does it look like? We've talked about a plan for relationship. We've talked about the means for that relationship being Jesus. But what does it look like? What is the Christian experience daily of drawing near to God? A couple of things. Verse 22, have a look. It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. A sincere heart. There's two things that I think a sincere heart is telling us about the Christian experience of drawing near to God. The first is, a sincere heart is about being real with God. It's about being completely open and honest with him. That's how you draw near. And that's how you can. That's the Christian experience. There's nothing pretense, nothing fake about it. You can draw near to God. You don't have to be something you are not to draw near to God. You can be yourself. I was hanging out with some of my married friends uh, this week. We were having dinner together. And there were with us a newly engaged couple. And they looked at us over dinner and they said, hey, what are you still enjoying about marriage? To which there was a nervous chuckle, right? <laughs> and of course, many things came up about what we're still enjoying about marriage. Uh, but one of the things that came up was um, just how silly often a married couple are. How, how 
at peace they are, how at one they are with themselves, with one another, that they can just be so silly. I don't know whether you experience this, but yeah, Naomi and I <laughs> will we'll dance at home. It's bad dancing. We'll put silly voices on. We'll just tell jokes that don't make any sense, but pretend it's really funny. And somebody said, you know, it's just amazing. No one else could imagine how silly I am with my wife. I'm just myself in a way that I can be with no other. And of course that can happen with best friends as well. Because there's this security of that relationship. They're not going anywhere. They've made promises for better, for worse. Good jokes, bad jokes. They've made promises that they'll be there. And similarly, some of the couples discussed that it was surprising how naked and how comfortable about their own bodies they could be in one another's presence. Because the person loves you, perfections and imperfections. They love you and all of you. That's the Christian experience of drawing near to God. No masks, nothing fake, don't have to hide anything, don't have to cover anything up, because you know, you know you're fully accepted by God. And so the Christian draws near, openly, honestly, just being themselves. What, what does this look like? I think it looks like you draw near to God not just when you're happy, but also when you're sad. Not just when you're your best self, but also when you're your worst self. Not just when you've got positive thoughts about everyone, but when you've got negative thoughts about others. You draw near to God. You take it all to Him. Because you don't have the problem of whether He'll like you. You don't have to deal with that. That's been dealt with. He, he likes you. He loves you. The other thing about a sincere heart is I think it's about having a changed heart that is sensitive to God's will and what God wants. It's about a desire. You have a desire in your heart to honour and obey God. And that's how Christians approach God. Naomi and I are gearing up for parenthood. No, that's wrong. We know parenthood will hit us like a ton of bricks. Um, but the thing I've noticed about children is you don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach a child um, to try and deceive its parents. You don't have to teach a child to disobey you. Am I right? <laughs> okay, good, okay. <laughs> it can take many years for a child to appreciate its parents. It can take decades. <laughs> I won't ask. I won't ask if it's true. It can take many years for a child to say thank you uh, and for a child to desire to live in such a way that would honour its parents. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of the love God has shown us in Christ, because of the enormity of that love, Christians are given a heart of thankfulness that makes them go, you know what? I want to love God. And I draw near to God, yeah, to get stuff because I'm a needy child, you know, and kids still do that, am I right? But also because I just want to be with them. I want a relationship with them. Such is the sincerity, such is the honesty of their friendship with God. That's how a Christian draws near, with a heart of obedience, a new heart. The second thing it says in verse 22 about the Christian experience of drawing near to God is it says, let us draw near 
to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The truth is, you can't have full assurance of drawing near to God based on anything else. Not on what you're like as a person, what you do, uh, how good you are at praying, the kind of person you are, how good a Christian you are, how much you give next Sunday. You can't have full assurance on anything else but faith. How does that work? During the American Civil War, a soldier got permission to go to the president to seek exemption from military service uh, because his home, his family, needed him. And so he got permission. But when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry. On each occasion, uh, the, he was... On each occasion that he tried to enter the White House, the guards crossed their bayoneted rifles in front of the door and turned him away. So being sent away, he went and sat in a nearby park. And as he was sitting in the park, a young boy came up to him um, and just appreciated how sad the man looked. And the man, the soldier, found himself just pouring out his heart to this young boy. And eventually the boy said, look, come with me. And, they, and the dejected soldier went back to the White House with him and they went around the back. And none of the guards seemed to stop them. Even the generals and the high-ranking government officials stood to attention and let them pass through. And the soldier was amazed. Finally, they came to the presidential office and without knocking, they went straight into the West Wing. The boy opened the oval office door walked straight in and there was Abraham Lincoln standing there with the Secretary of State in conversation. And as soon as the boy walked in, Abraham Lincoln turned to him and said, Tad, what can I do for you? And Tad said, Dad, this soldier needs to talk to you. He had access through the Son. We have access to God through the Son. And although we have no right by ourselves to go into God's presence through Jesus, through what he's done on the cross, through his sacrifice for sins, through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the Father. That's why almost every good Anglican prayer finishes with through Jesus Christ our Lord. The result of his sacrifice is that without the Son, you have no assurance with the Son the result of the sacrifice is with the Son, you have full assurance. And by the way, however much faith you feel you have, if it's faith in Jesus, in the Son, it's enough. That's why faith can be as small as a mustard seed and yet move mountains. Um, I began by mentioning that people have a hard time drawing near to God because they feel like God is unknowable or they feel... They're unworthy to come to God. In the Son, you have full assurance of who God is and what He's done for you. You have full assurance of faith to go to God. And in the Son, in the end of verse 22, it says, God has cleansed our consciences of guilt. And He's given us a new heart, a cleansed heart, a new heart of obedience so that we can draw near confidently. Just one final point of application. When are you going to draw near to God? 
When are you going to do it? Two points. Firstly, all the time. All the time. I know you have work. I know you have family. I know you have chores. I know you have groceries to get. I know you've got kids. I know you've got grandkids to look after. You've got stuff in your life. The point is, God isn't someone or something you add to your life. You do all of it with him. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say to us, pray continually, in every moment. You just include God. He's like a best friend there with you in it all. You can draw near to God however busy you are. On the other hand, secondly, you make time all the time, but also you make time. We'd all say it's important to have one-on-one time with a spouse, with a parent, with a child, especially given how distracted our world is and how busy we can often become because we know the benefits of face-to-face time, don't we? The depth of intimacy it gives us. And so we plan in date nights, phone calls, brunch, coffee. A friend of mine uh, was telling me that he often takes one of his three kids camping just by themselves so that they can have some close, intimate time. When was the last time you made time for God? When was the last time you put him in your diary? You treated him like a friend. You treated him like family, like a partner. When was the last time you put the phone on silent? You left it in another room. And you came with a list, maybe a few things on your mind, but then you just enjoyed time in his presence. The point of this passage is not just the cleansing of your guilt, the fact you can go to heaven or your forgiveness. The point of this passage is what forgiveness opens up your world to, which is the opportunity to draw near to God and the confidence to draw near to Him. Amen? Amen. about to sing a, a two